Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Fluently Forward. I've got a fabulous guest for you today. Welcome to the show, Lauren Meisner, the co-founder, the director of Centennial World. Lauren, all the way from Australia, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am great. We were just saying it is pretty early here in Sydney. It's 7 a.m., but I'm feeling fresh. I'm so excited to be on the pod. I'm such a huge fan. Okay, I'm a huge fan of yours. We were talking, we were getting connected over email, and I've been following Centennial World for at least like a year now, and it's one of my favorite follows because Ooh, and I'll have to ask you if you know Kate Lindsay from Embedded, because I love people who are covering the internet, like the internet in itself, like viral TikTok sensations, Mm -hmm. controversies that happen, YouTubers getting into beef. Like I live for that stuff on the internet. And I feel like Centennial World as both like you guys have a podcast, you have a Substack, you're on Instagram and a regular .com, which Mm -hmm. like I love, I love pure (laughs) web pages. That's kind of what you cover and you brand yourself as almost like Gen Z digital news. So how did you start this? And I'm really curious about like the Gen Z angle that you took here. Yeah. So my business partner, Jordi and I, we were working in women's publishing in Australia. So we were writing beauty content across like Elle, Harper's Bazaar, a bunch of those kinds of luxury women's dot coms. And we just noticed a gap in the media industry, especially in Australia. But I would say at the time worldwide, because this was like 2017, 2018, when we first started kind of talking about this for a publisher that spoke to Gen Z, but that specifically covered internet culture. Because I, at the time, and still am, obsessed with like YouTube drama. I was obsessed with drama channels at the time. This was like when beauty YouTube was at its height. And, you know, I would go into work and be like, we need to be writing about, you know, Jeffree Star's palette launch or Jaclyn Hill's Lipstick Gate or whatever was happening at that time. And it just wasn't considered mainstream enough at that time to be covering for titles that we were working for. So we started kind of talking about that. And it was actually Jaclyn Hill's Lipstick Gate that really, I think, pushed me over the edge with it. I remember listening to a podcast where the girls were covering like what was happening. And I was just like screaming into my phone because I like knew so much more about the situation (laughs) and the context and the background of everything. And I was like, how are these girls doing that full time? And like, I'm not even allowed to write a breakdown on it, you know? So -hmm. that kind of gave me the push that I needed. Thank you, Jaclyn Hill, and your lipsticks, <laughs> your moldy lipsticks, <laughs> for giving me that push. So I approached Jordi. She had left where we were working, and she was freelancing in New York at the time. So I knew she didn't have a full-time job. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, have we been talking for the last little bit about this? Like, I'm thinking of actually doing something, going out on my own. You know, would you want to do it with me? And at the time, I kind of thought she could do it from New York, and I could do it from Sydney. And in hindsight, just getting it off the ground, that would have never worked. So it worked out for the best because about maybe two months after I kind of approached her with that idea and she was like, yeah, let's do it. And then, you know, nothing really happened. And we kind of just like, let it go. She messaged me and she was like, okay, I'm actually moving back to Sydney. Like, should I get a job or do you want to do this? So I was like, okay, that was like October, 2019. And I quit my job. And six weeks later we launched. Wow. Welcome to the entrepreneur world. How do you like it so far? (laughs) It's rough. It's good, but it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. A question I want to ask you is um, being in that like beauty world where you Mm -hmm. were writing for different publications, I feel like every single rom-com I watch, it's like 
Kate Hudson or someone stunning and they're always like a journalist and even though they're a journalist in New York they've got Mm -hmm. like the lovely three-bedroom apartment I don't want to talk about it but (laughs) they're always like I want to write about something real and like something that means something and the mean boss is always like no you have to write about g-strings today and they're like so mad about it you wanting to write about all these internet topics what was something that these publications were pushing? Were they like, you have to write things that make people want to buy stuff? Or were they like, we have a contract with L'Oreal, you have to do fluff pieces for them? Like, in the eyes of like a soulless boss who works at a corporation like that, what's like a perfect piece to them? It would be, it would be more so mainstream celebrities if we wanted to cover personalities. So instead of writing about, you know, like Jeffrey Star's palette launch, which I would never write about now because we hate Jeffree Star, but you know, at the time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it would be, you know, actually no, write about like Natalie Portman's ambassadorship with Dior or something like that, you know? So if we were going to cover personalities, it would be more those mainstream uh, personalities, no those one, mainstream by the way, celebrities. Like- Nobody no one cares. gives a shit about, yeah. you know, but like, <laughs> I wish we did, but like anytime a celebrity is an ambassador to anything, it's just like an immediate snooze fest. I'm like, shut up. Like, tell me like when they did Coke at the Met Gala, like tell me who they're <laughs> exactly. finger banging. Like, that's what I'm interested in. Well, yeah. I was so excited because you and I today are going to be talking about this whole idea of like covering the internet at large. So like how trending topics happen online, why we're so obsessed with like recapping social media drama, the people that you interview, like why certain influencers we kind of glob onto. So the first thing I want to basically ask you about is like you mentioned, your website Centennial World is geared towards Gen Z content. I'm really curious for your take on the Gen Z experience online versus millennial. I know that you and I are both millennials and I feel like there's such a rift between these two generations that like Gen X and the boomers were never going head to head in the same way that Gen Z and millennials are. And there's some things online where people talk about the millennial pause on TikTok or like the Gen Z shake or the different language or the obsession with, I don't know, like Harry Potter houses and what are Gen Z kids into, like vaping or something? Yeah. But when it when it comes to online, like how do you think a Gen Z person and a millennial person consume news differently? I actually think that's a huge misconception or like maybe misunderstanding between the generations. I actually think Gen Z and millennials are so much more similar than previous generations were to each other because we both grew up online. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Like we both grew up online and I think millennials in general, like we are so much more chill about Gen Z, like in the workplace, for example, wanting to be themselves and, you know, kind of speak like how they want to or sign off their emails with smiley faces or like slay the day, like whatever. Like we don't really (laughs) care, you know, like we think that all that kind of corporate shit is dumb too. And I think we approach work in a very similar way and have a very similar philosophy around work. But I think where the disconnect happens on social media is that Gen Z is intentionally cringy. Like they really don't take themselves seriously and they think it's funny to be cringy and they lean into that. Whereas millennials, like we inherently are cringy, but we take ourselves really seriously and we don't think we're cringy. (laughs) And I think that's a huge disconnect. And part of that is that Gen Z is actually so much more private on social media than millennials are. Like they're way more likely to have a private Instagram account. I think that they've probably seen how social media really impacted our generation and some of the older, older Gen Zs and kind of how negative 
that experience could be. So they are a lot more private on social media, but it's interesting because they spend the most time on it, but they're less likely to post. Yes. And what you say about cringe is so interesting because I feel like people talk about, you know, people in Gen Z like trauma dumping or oversharing or putting like everything bad that like has ever happened to them in like their Twitter bio. Whereas with a millennial, it's like, you have to be my friend for five years to find that information Mm -hmm. out. But I really like it. And maybe that's just because I'm personally an overshare. Like I'm somebody who's made multiple videos on TikTok about discharge. So like the chug is, you know what I mean? Like I'll put it out there. I love the Gen Z concept of that. But I find it really funny how um, different news media publications and articles that I read are always talking about like the divide between the generations, like what's different between them. And I'm with you. I think that we're pretty similar. And I wonder who, like I always think it comes back to the money. I'm like, who profits off of these generations thinking that like one is different than the other. And I wonder if it's almost like society at large, because I feel like every generation is like, well, I can just blame boomers for the economy. And then I can blame Gen Z for like me not being cool online. And then I can blame this for that and this for that. And it's funny how every generation always looks at the younger one and they're like, ha ha ha, like you'll understand when you're older, but like you just don't get it now. But I will say Gen Z is like a force to be reckoned with. What do you think about Gen Alpha? Any predictions for them coming up? Oh my God. I am so worried for Gen Alpha. Like we need to protect (laughs) them. I don't even know what it's going to be like. I hope because they will have Gen Z as like their big brothers and sisters that it will help them. But I, I cannot imagine being born into this world now and like having social media and TikTok from like nine years old or even younger, it's so scary. Being born and already having an Instagram account where your parents yes. have been writing in first person as you for the last like six years or something. I feel oh like, oh my God, like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I know. Wow. Well, speaking of the differences between Gen Z and millennial, when I think of millennial, I always think of BuzzFeed. I feel like BuzzFeed perfectly like encapsulated our generation with like the different quizzes and you know, answer these questions about Harry Potter and we'll tell you what type of potato chip you are. Like I'm completely (laughs) a slave to those. I absolutely love it. I think of certain websites like BuzzFeed, or at least when I was in my boring nine to five job and I just had to have a website to like browse in a corner to make it look like I was doing work, but I wasn't really doing work. Like we all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It was BuzzFeed, like Man Repeller, Thought Catalog, Elite Daily. I kind of put Centennial World in that same category, when you think of good websites to either go down rabbit holes or distract you for two hours at work, what websites are kind of like top five category in your mind? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly my experience. Like in my first job, my two best friends and I, we had a group chat with the three of us and we would literally like get to our jobs, like right out of uni. Clearly we were so busy (laughs) and we would (laughs) log on to cosmopolitan.com every single day and we would read every single article we do every single quiz and we would just be messaging back and forth about like everything we were reading and everything we were doing and we would spend all day on that website and that is kind of what we would love Centennial World to eventually be obviously we're very small now so like we're still very small so we don't have a huge team and but that's kind of the 
yeah, like that's kind of like the ethos around it. For me now, I have a few different things that I check every day. I'm still obviously a massive media connoisseur, not so much Cosmo.com anymore. (laughs) But (laughs) I love, like I said before, I honestly love drama channels. I think some of them have kind of fallen off, but like every day I'm checking like Tea Spill, Smoky Glow, Petty Page. I love those three. And then for websites, every day I check Dexterto and Distractify for like influencer news. That's more for like us to see if we're missing anything that we should be covering or something like that. They do really quick like influencer roundups and like stories about that. I check Vox. I check the information and I'm also a huge Substack girly. So I'm like reading Embedded, After School, Garbage Day, OK Zoomer, Scroll Better, our Substack, Infinite Scroll. (laughs) So honestly, I am like constantly consuming media, which is why I'm so passionate about this space, honestly. Yeah. And what you say about like Cosmo.com rings so true. Like I miss the days of the old internet so bad. Like, first of all, I miss AIM. I miss the concept of logging on and logging off. Cause I think we all just like haven't logged off since 2016, but I miss those websites where you would go online, you would read an article, then you would take a quiz. Then maybe you would play a fashion dress up game and then you would watch a video on those yeah. sites. And it's just like every you know, in the effort to make money, each of those components of a website turned into an app that then harvested all of your data and then started serving you ads. And there isn't really one website anymore where you can go like Mm cosmo.com and like play these games, share things with friends, maybe customize your avatar and hang out on it for four hours. Do you think that's ever going to come back or do you think we're going to get like more and more niche down as we continue? I actually think that will come back. There's a lot of senior people in publishing that we've spoken to recently that have suggested that because of AI, publishing will kind of go back to like brand as they say, which basically means that publishers with distinct tone of voices will be like where people are going. So they will actually log on to like a homepage every day because they want to read content from that distinct tone of voice or like that distinct uh, point of view, you know, because uh, with so much, like you said before, with BuzzFeed, like so many of these big publishers coming out and saying, you know, we're going to scale back our manpower and essentially use AI to generate our SEO articles or our news articles. And that is so much of what media is now anyways. You know, it, it is kind of that headline clickbait, like news piece those, those kinds of stories are dominating the ecosystem right now, and they have been for a while. So it would be really refreshing if we got back to that, which is where people are really following publishers for the brand and the tone of voice. I think that will happen, but I think it will be very much down the line. I think it will take people a long time to come back to that. Yeah. Even what you said about like having a homepage, I miss that. Like I remember when, you know, you've got your first laptop, that idea of like, what is your desktop background? What is going Mm -hmm. to be your homepage that you open up? Which widgets are you going to have? And I feel like now if somebody were to build a homepage, it wouldn't be a distinct voice, right? It would bring in your Twitter feed and then it would maybe like bring in the weather channel app. And it's like all of these apps that are trying to, you know, skewer off percentages of your time, which is just very demoralizing. But I am curious for your take about AI because I feel like it's absolutely skyrocketed. And as much as I hate Elon Musk, I will say like he hit the nail on the head when he was like, you guys should really be worried about AI. It's already out of control. It's going to go crazy. I personally can a hundred percent tell when something's written by AI. Like it just feels a little bit soulless. I can just tell that there's no personality in it. And as somebody that works with writers and with a publication, 
are you guys thankful for ChatGPT and the ways that it can like help get something started or do you want to burn it to the ground? <laughs> Honestly, uh, we have really had limited experience with ChatGPT and I think it's because the tech isn't advanced enough yet. I'm sure it'll eventually get there yet to kind of write the explainers on the topics that we cover. Like for us, right, our bread and butter, for example, is like TikTok drama. So we have to, to, to write a story, like an explainer on what's happening. Like we have to watch all the TikToks. We have to read all the comments. We have to scour like Twitter and Reddit and all the forums and put together like a timeline and an explainer, including kind of all these sides of the drama from multiple sources and platforms. And that isn't something that is already on Google. So that's not something that like AI can produce for us yet like ChatGPT could produce for us yet. I'm sure at some point that well, will happen. Well, how funny if it did, like, if somebody made, like, a sassy, bitchy version of ChatGPT <laughs> and it was, like, this skank of a YouTuber is, like, beefing with blah, blah, blah. You know, you, like, you turn its settings to, like, gossipy or something. Yeah. But I also think there's a lot to be said. Like, I, I, I completely understand, for example, like, we get one million press releases a day. And so being able to put a press release into ChatGPT, if that's a huge part of your publishing, like, we don't publish press releases, but a lot of publishers do just to kind of get that affiliate link or whatever. So, you know, if that's part of your publishing strategy, your content strategy, then being able to put that into chat GPT. So it like rewords it for you. So it's technically in, you know, a different, it's, it's not technically plagiarism or whatever. And then being able to publish that, I can understand how that would be really helpful for publishers that do that. But I think there's also something to be said for the fact that like human behavior is inherently irrational and erratic and does not always follow models of behavior. And so covering creators or influencers or even mainstream celebrities who are human means understanding that kind of nonsensical reasoning that people do things. And AI just can't do that. Yes. No, it's so true. Like if somebody says, for example, like somebody tells you something juicy and you're like, oh my God, shut up. Right. Chat GPT would stop responding yes. and you're like, no, shut up. Shut up actually means like, tell me more, keep it yeah. going, open up the fire hose. I've seen all of these funny TikToks where people will try, almost use Chat GPT, like smarter child, if you remember like back in the day of AIM, yes. where like somebody said to Chat GPT, they're like, what can I do to serve you? Anything that you need. And they were like, let me have the last word. And Chat GPT's like, okay, great, we'll do. And they're like, no, like I have to have the last word. And Chat BTT is like, sure thing, like whatever you want. And they're like, let me have the last word. It went on for like pages oh my God. and pages and I had nothing to do. So I was watching, but I find that interesting. And I'm curious to know, have you ever heard of dead internet theory? I have. I mean, so I saw a recent report by a security company that said that 36% of all internet traffic is human and the rest comes from bots. And that was a Doesn't pretty- does that make you want to cry or something? Yes. That's like freaky. Yeah. Yeah. That's like such a scary stat to see. And I, I think it's interesting because like on one hand, I'm so not a conspiracy girly. So to me, I'm like, this is not true. Like I'm just immediately super skeptical. I immediately like don't believe things when I hear them. So I'm like, no, this is like not true. Wait, but by the way, those traits make you a conspiracy theorist. That's what's up. Being oh skeptical. <laughs> oh my God. True. I never thought of it like that. <laughs> One of us, one of us. <laughs> no, but I mean, there is a growing argument for it, right? Like, I think we, we've we even seen it. Like, it, it's not even necessarily like so much a theory as we have a lot of platforms that have kind of, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if they've necessarily admitted to 
this, but you know, like YouTube and Facebook and TikTok all in their early days, like their traffic was so high. The video views were so high, like it, they were inflated views. And so, you know, that that traffic is largely bots, at least in those early days. So it's actually not, I think as far-fetched as some people think it might be. Yeah. Or like, I've even seen footage of those, like what do they call it, like phone factory or phone farms where it's like a warehouse in the middle of nowhere and there's like 9,000 iPhones in all like going through and watching TikToks with an automatic finger swipe. And it's crazy because it is hard to tell. Like I remember I had this, because I am a conspiracy girly, so I had the (laughs) secret belief in the early days of my podcast. I was like, it was two things. One, I thought that the numbers were inflated on my podcast. I was like, there's no way that this many people are actually listening to it. And then I got really tinfoil hatty and there was this like guy who kind of had a crush on me at the time. And I was like, I'm convinced that he paid like somebody to like a bot team to like listen to all of this. Cause have you heard of like speaking of being cringe online? I remember I saw a TikTok where these girls wanted to make their ex-boyfriend They wanted to like do something shitty to him. So they bought him like 20,000 Instagram followers because then it like screwed up his Instagram feed and it was like so embarrassing because obviously those followers were bought because he went from like 126 to like 20,000 in a day. Oh my God, that is like honestly amazing revenge. (laughs) I know, it's kind of funny, right? And it's only like 20 bucks or something to do that. But I just find that interesting because like I'm fully convinced I know that some of my TikTok views are inflated like there's no way that that many people are watching it that being said I've met some people on the street and in person and I'm like okay that's the only thing that makes me think that it's real because there's something that's so weird about creating online content where you do it completely on your own and sometimes a video does well and tons of people are thanking you but you've never met them or tons of people are telling you to go kill yourself and you've never met them either so there's such a weird disconnect But the most interesting part of dead internet theory to me is like the bots are one part of it. The inflated views are another part of it. And then the third part is just the fact that that old internet days, those are missing. Like where are those websites where you get lost on them for hours? Or the fact for me, like anytime I want an answer to a question, I'll type in like, throat is hurting, stuffy, Reddit. And I put Reddit in after everything because I think me and other people do that online because we're just desperate for human connection online. So after Mm -hmm. every query, you have to put Reddit because you don't want to see some jag off company who's just trying to get SEO clicks. Like that's not what you want. You want answers from a real person. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the majority of content we read online is created by, I don't know, AI or just pulled together or not done with the intention of human connection? I would say definitely not done with the intention of human connection. I've never heard of, I mean, I'm sure this happens. I've never heard of publishers creating like fake bylines, like fake people as and having a byline and publishing content under it. But if you notice a lot of publishers, and we do this not because we have AI, but just because we're a small team and like some of our writers, because we write about like influencers and stuff. Some of our writers don't want to put their names on their on the articles because they're scared, which is oh. fine. But if you see like, it, you know, it'll be like centennial team or whatever. So I think you can assume that most of those pieces are either written for that reason, if it's about like a celebrity or something and the the author maybe doesn't want their byline on it, or it is something that has been reworked by maybe AI or maybe just, you know, some type of like content farm, or maybe they're just repurposing or publishing a press release. Like that happens a lot. People like just straight up take the press release that they're sent and just 
paste it and publish mm-hmm. it. So things like that, for sure. And I think a lot of press releases are definitely now chat GPT generated. Oh, yeah, they have to be. Now, yeah. A question I have for you, too, is like we're both people who put out content online and then you have all these lovely data and analytics and comments from people and actual numbers telling you which content people are drawn to more based off of what they click, how long they read certain articles, et cetera. Out of everything that you cover on Centennial World, what is like the go-to, you know it's always going to be a hit, people are obsessed with this type of content or this one influencer or this type of drama? Always TikTok, always TikTok drama, whatever is the latest drama. When we first started, so it was December 2019 we launched and we launched as like a beauty focused internet publication. So we were Centennial Beauty at first because obviously beauty was our background. And at the time, like when we were first kind of planning everything, like beauty YouTubers were the biggest people on the internet, like TikTok really hadn't taken off yet. And so in those early days, it was like Nikki Tutorials, Jeffree Star, all of that. And then honestly, Mm -hmm. by like March, 2020, like just a few months in when TikTok had really taken off and we were in the throes of lockdown and everything. I remember the first story that I wrote that had nothing to do with the beauty space at all was about the diss track that I think it was Bryce Hall and Josh Richards <laughs> made on Lil Huddy. <laughs> And oh, I, I remember that time. I had like the fattest crush on Lil Huddy and I had to like Google his age. I'm like, oh why God. is this like 18 year old with like 19 different rings on his fingers doing it for me? Like 2020 was a dark time. It was, yeah, it was a weird time. And that story, I just remember like sitting in lockdown in my house, publishing it, being like, this is so random. Like, why did I write this? But like, let's see. And just watching the traffic climb because at the time nobody else had written it. Nobody was writing about these kids like it was just it was so random and so for probably the first from then on for about like a year and a half it was like anything that those main TikTok kids did like Charlie, Lil Huddy, Bryce, Addison, anything it was just like sky high and now like it's a lot more of explainers of like trends and like what is happening on TikTok, whether it's a viral video or drama that's happening on TikTok, but it's not necessarily about the people. It's more about the cultural context or like what is, what the app feels about a certain video or a certain situation, which is really interesting that people are, seem to be looking for more in-depth understanding around situations rather than just kind of like, here's the quick news about like what this person did. Yeah. Those articles are my favorite of yours because like so many people, there's something about TikTok where every single person's algorithm, your for you page is different, but it's also kind of the same. Like certain couch guy and Michaela beauty drama and West Elm Caleb, right? Like all of these different things take off on TikTok and people who know, know, and people who don't, don't. But I'm so interested in what actually is going on. Like, I think we saw this in a big way when Alex Earl started to blow up and every single person was like, what is her background? What is her history? Like, it's almost like we're all watching the same TV show and people who make it big on TikTok or go viral are kind of these characters. Out of all the drama that's happened on TikTok, the iconic one, for me, like Couch Guy is something that I still think about. What's something that like you haven't yet found out the full story about, but you really want to know? I would say it's not that I, I mean, I think we know the full story with Lashgate, but that is one that has baffled me in the sense that we've seen. And this was you when know, Michaela did yes. it with L'Oreal, right? Okay. Yeah. So when Michaela did a sponsored video with L'Oreal for their telescopic mascara and then came back with what looked like false lashes and pretended it was mascara and then was like in her comments defending that it was mascara. 
And I thought that was so interesting because it was so big. Like literally everyone was talking about it. Like every beauty YouTuber got involved being like, this is obviously fake. And the brand and Michaela basically never addressed it. Like they just decided as like, I guess their PR strategy to just completely like let it go by the wayside. And I'm so baffled by the fact that first of all, L'Oreal would allow her to put fake lashes on like that, that video would get approved because obviously we work with these kinds of brands as like our clients. And I just, I cannot imagine that ever getting past, like we'll, we'll do TikTok content for them and stuff like ever getting past approvals. So then I'm like, okay, this is actually my conspiracy like tinfoil hat that I'm like, did they like do this to drum up controversy? Cause none of them ever yeah. addressed it. Like I just, it's so interesting to me that this kind of, it was so obvious. Like it was truly so obvious and they just decided to never talk about it. And there's examples of people doing that on TikTok, right? Because people figure out different ways to hack the algorithm, the way that more controversy, more comments are always going to drive up engagement and views. You know, you must know. I feel like we've all seen those TikTok videos of the woman being like, my husband just came home from his business trip, but I ordered 500 packages online and I have to hide them. And she like undoes all of the packages and she's washing her fruit with it. There's always like something that looks like a Bluetooth speaker that goes into the fruit to wash it. It's all these fancy vacuums. Like she's cleaning her house and they use about maybe 900 products in each like one minute long TikTok video. And people were obsessed with watching them. They're very satisfying and Mm -hmm. soothing to watch. And it turns out that these are all ads for I think some like Chinese owned online shopping, kind of like Amazon where you can buy these products. And something that they would do is that as the woman is cleaning her house, they would always have a fake rat or like mouse or something go across the floor or like a parrot would just like shit on her head like in a second and like keep flying and they would do that so then that way people in the comment would be like did anyone else see the parrot like shit in her mouth and then fly away and it's like they only do that to drum up certain things so there's tons of instances of people doing something absolutely obscene just so then that way we like monkeys comment on it and then it shoots to the moon so I'm with you I can see that happening Or I also heard the theory that maybe she was using the beauty filter and that like added a lash for her. What do you think about that? I don't know about that. I feel like it looked very much like strip lashes. I would be surprised if it was a beauty filter, honestly. I think that she just did what, I mean, mascara commercials have been doing forever and what uh, beauty YouTubers used to do as well and just kind of like adding a little extra something, you know? But that's what I found so interesting is like when beauty YouTubers would be called out at that, like on that scale, like they would have to apologize. Like I just cannot believe that we've just let this kind of go. Well, should we kill her? (laughs) I swear to God. Yeah, like what should we do? (laughs) People online were so, and you have to like, especially now that it's a couple months over, like you have to laugh. And I understand to a certain extent if somebody is a content creator online and they do something that you don't like or is unethical, you know, you're technically like a consumer of theirs. Mm-hmm. So it's well within your rights to block them, unfollow, stop engaging with their content. I don't know, tell them that they look like shit or something, <laughs> whatever people do online. But the way that people wanted this woman dead I know. over some lashes, it's absolutely, and I mean, I've been on the receiving end of some crazy stuff. Do you think being somebody with such like a finger on the pulse of the internet, do you think that the way that people get outraged so quickly, or I'm so fascinated in the way that people 
can assume bad faith intention Mm -hmm. within a second. I love this viral tweet where somebody says, Twitter is the only place where you could say, I don't like pancakes. And then someone will be like, oh, so you fucking hate waffles. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like a totally different sentence. Do you think that this like nature of people to view things in bad faith has always been around online? Or do you think it kind of points to the fact that, you know, we're three years out of a global pandemic, we're in the middle of a recession, people are not doing well, we're, you know, as a general whole, not that happy? Or do you think that it's less so a comment on our mental state and it's just like there's always going to be some people who are upset online? I think it's interesting because... There is a lot of discourse around how people don't react like that in real life, right? Like if you told someone in person that you love bagels, they wouldn't respond being like, must be nice. Some people can't have gluten. Stop letting your gluten privilege show. (laughs) Like that would literally never happen. Do you think they would like think that but not be like a brave enough to voice it out loud? Or do you think that they wouldn't even think that? I don't think they would think that because I think what's happening is it's not so much rooted in people wanting to twist words. I think there's two things. I think the first is that, yes, like collectively our mental state is in the gutter these past few years and the internet has been such a toxic place for people. But I also think too, it's more an indication of how platforms like Twitter and TikTok put everyone together in one place. So I don't know if you saw this TikTok. It went viral a couple months ago by a creator called Erica Nicole. And she spoke about problems that can arise from adults sharing online spaces with young people who are still learning about themselves and about the world around them. And she called it the greatest crime of the internet is equalizing us across age and developmental stage. And basically said that like young people go through this kind of like loud and wrong stage as a part of growing up and developing analytical skills. And historically, this wasn't really like a big deal, but this stage was generally contained within their age group or within their kind of social circle. And now these uh, platforms like Twitter and TikTok specifically, which are more like platforms than they are social media, like networking sites, have kind of opened this up to like one big room with millions of people coexisting together. And so I think part of that like one big room is that TikTok and Twitter have created a mixture of regular people with public figures. So it's like young people, adults who are kind of maybe misunderstanding each other, but then it's like regular people, public figures, and regular people are using these platforms to kind of just dash off like a random thought or share a random opinion that holds true to them. But if you saw a public figure say that on some of these platforms, it would be like an endorsement and therefore the public would scrutinize it more. And so I think the lines get really blurry, especially when content starts to go viral because we don't have that clear divide, especially now with like out verification on Twitter and things like that about like who is a public figure? You know, why is this going viral? Should this be somebody that we're listening to? So regular yeah. people are posting as if they're having like a conversation among friends where it won't be taken in bad faith, but then users are interpreting that content like it's coming from a credible source and therefore it causes this tension. It's so true. And like, I hate to say it, but you know, I try to be self-aware about this stuff and there's definitely moments where 
some poor, beautiful girl will come across my TikTok and she's doing like a, you know, Sunday reset for my house and she's stunning and like thin and tall and looks like a model who's Mm -hmm. off duty and like her house is gorgeous and she's putting everything away. And there's like, there's the tiniest part of me that for a split second does want to comment something like, it's harmful what you're doing or like, it's it's selfish and dangerous because I'm just like, oh, like I hate you, you know, like I'm just so jealous. I'm so envious. And people say a lot of times on TikTok too, they're like us humans, like we weren't meant to see this many beautiful faces in our lifetime because we were supposed to grow up in a village where we only had like two really hot chicks in the village. But on TikTok, you can see 9,000 in a day. And same with the news on Twitter, you were supposed to know, okay, there was a fire a couple miles away. You're not supposed to be able to scroll and see earthquake, hunger, famine, disaster, bombing, kidnapping, all of these things. It really messes with our head. And in the same way, when you tweet out, I like pancakes, you're not supposed to have like 2 million people see that. But the way that certain algorithms work, sometimes they can. And sometimes people want to slap you in the face for saying that you like pancakes, which is like absolutely crazy to me. Do you think that we will be going down to this idea of like niche corners of the internet where, you know, all of one age spectrum hangs out on this side, kind of like closed off like different classrooms? Or do you think it's always going to be a free for all? I don't know. I think that, I think Twitter and TikTok have been interesting experiments with that because even on Instagram, like, are you following anyone who's not in your family that's over like 45 at the most? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we kind of all follow people for the most part on these social platforms who we can relate to their lives in some way. And they're kind of in our same like age bracket. And oh, obviously you're also following your friends, but TikTok and Twitter are two places that seem to have the most toxicity, but they also are not necessarily being used as much by like the general public. And therefore it does kind of create this like one big room. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I think that Gen Z is very focused on community and that goes hand in hand with what I was saying earlier with the fact that they are a lot more private on social media. So I think that they are leaning more towards apps and platforms that build community rather than are like showing this kind of like public persona of themselves. So I think that might be where the internet kind of goes. When you were talking about like different life stages using the internet in different ways. Have you ever joined one of those Facebook groups called We Pretend to Be Boomers on Facebook? Yes, it's so funny. <laughs> it's like anyone listening, like go join one of them. They'll make your day. It's just like there's there's a certain boomer etiquette on Facebook where somebody will just like post a graphic being like, it's my birthday. And then someone will be like, Sharon, you look incredible. And then someone else will be like, I'm going to the YMCA at 3 PM. Does anyone want to join? And it's like all of these random things in the comments. It tickles me so much. But then also on the opposite spectrum, I follow the subreddit uh, called kids are fucking stupid. And that's when like young, young kids get online and they're like typing boobs into Google or they make like I saw a video on YouTube where a kid uh, made a video called eating a straw so turtles don't have to. And it's like him eating a straw for two minutes. And it's just so funny to see like the way that people like 50 plus use the internet and like 15 below is just fascinating to me. It's almost like 
it's almost the similar. It's almost like yes. takes a U-turn and comes back around, doesn't it? Oh, totally. We, as part of kind of, it's like a side to our business. We do consulting for businesses on Gen Z. And that's what so much of the research has shown is that Gen Z and boomers are actually so similar. <laughs> which is so interesting. And speaking of like boomers and and Gen Z typing in funny things, we had like, we have a a TikTok for our, oh my God, I cannot speak. We have a TikTok for our podcast. And I always put at the end, the call to action is like search infinite scroll anywhere you get podcasts to listen to a full episode. But I guess in this TikTok, I had just written search infinite scroll uh, to listen to the full episode. And I, we had all these boomers, I'm assuming there are boomers, like commenting infinite scroll. And I was like, oh my God, first of all, thank you so much for like wanting to listen. That's like so cute. But it was so funny. I was like, oh my God, I have to be so much more explicit than this. This is, do you remember that moment in time on Facebook where like a bunch of boomers were copying and pasting and like, Dear attention to government, this is me saying that you can't steal any of my data. This is like my <laughs> online sign signature yes. copy. I'm like, oh my God, it's like reminiscent of like chain emails back in yes. the day where they're like, if you don't forward this along, you're going to like be a virgin for the next 10 years or something. But, don't but you I kind of miss that- it. But don't you see that on TikTok? Like I get those videos now all the time where it's like somebody like use this sound and money will come to you in seven days (laughs) or in three hours, you know, the love of your life will message you. And I'm like, what is happening? You're right. And it makes me so mad because I, I'm super superstitious. So like, I'll like, like the video because I don't want the bad luck. And then I'll block the account because I'm like so mad that they made me do that, you know? like <laughs> And it didn't come true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. What do you think? Do you ever get those tarot card readings on TikTok? Oh my God, I do. I wish I could believe in that stuff. Like I just, I, I mean, it's like what I was, I was saying before, like I struggle so much. I'm actually in this phase right now where I'm just putting it out into the universe that I'm desperate to be indoctrinated into a cult because I just <laughs> need like something to believe in. I need someone to tell me like what to do. I need some like guidelines in life and I'm getting to that age. And maybe it's also because I'm like running a business and I'm just constantly confused where I understand now why people love organized religion. I understand what, how they get indoctrinated into cults because I'm like, same, like I need guidance. (laughs) I used to think, I remember when I was so stressed out at work and I suddenly understood the, um, diaper baby or like diaper lover fetish. Have you heard of that? It's like where, um, allegedly these, like, I'm probably getting the name wrong, but like these high, think of like the most high powered CEO billionaire, like I'm talking like succession, like busy all the time. Mm. Some of these, we'll just say men because uh, unfortunately most of them are men, right? But they'll develop this kind of fetish. Well, they'll pay a sex worker to basically treat them like a baby for a couple of hours. So they'll go to this expensive hotel room. They'll like have uh, them, they'll have the sex worker like change them into these like nice pajamas, run a bath for them, play games, goo goo gaga, like feed them for a little bit, tuck them into bed and tell them a story. And I remember the first time I heard about this, I was like wild, you know, crazy. But then I remember I was so stressed out at work one day. I was like, I would pay so much money to go to a hotel room, have someone change me into jammies, feed me food, and just take care of everything yes. for a couple of minutes. And they say it's like these people who are really busy with work just desire. That's why they say a lot of these high-powered men are really submissive in the bedroom. Leave it to me to like bring this up into any conversation. <laughs> but like, that's what they say they're into because they just want 
to let go of control and not have to make any decisions for a couple of hours. Oh my God, I totally see that. This episode of Fluently Forward is brought to you by BetterHelp. You have heard me talk a lot about therapy and how beneficial it's been to me. I love using therapy because isn't life so funny the way that you'll think, oh my God, I'm so mentally stable for the last couple of months, but such is the way of life. Things happen every day that can kind of change your life and how you're thinking about things. Maybe you get a new job and all of a sudden you're struggling with imposter syndrome. Maybe you start dating someone new and then relationship anxiety starts to creep into your life. Maybe you have a fight with your friend and you want to talk about it with someone. Maybe you're moving and you're overwhelmed. Basically, life is always changing and for anything hard that happens... I always suggest turn to therapy. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is great. So find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com fluently today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash fluently. Now, I have another question for you. It's about the phrase chronically online. Mm -hmm. And people talk about this a lot on TikTok. I feel like we have seen the idea or the concept of the chronically online previously when Tumblr was really big, kind of in the millennial era. Do you think that there's always a subsection of people that are chronically online? Or do you think that, you know, post-2020 with all of us spending so much time indoors and on digital screens and like literally they're putting tablets into cars now like we can't get away from surfaces do you think that we're all going to be chronically online or do you think it's more of like a way of some thinking where kind of some people have it or some people don't I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think there's different definitions for chronically online obviously, right? Like if you call someone chronically online on TikTok or Twitter or whatever, like you generally mean that that person has a perspective that has gone so far in a certain direction that has become unrealistic. And I mean, that's kind of what you would call like Twitter brain, right? Which, which is when you spend so much time online that you start kind of couching your opinions and preemptively apologizing for your language to kind of get ahead of those like whataboutisms, right? And like, I notice myself doing that in real life constantly or like on our podcast and I'm trying so hard to stop doing that. But it's really hard when you spend so much time online. But then I think the other kind of definition of chronically online is more to what you were saying about just constantly having access to tablets and phones and the internet and all of that. And I would say that's more so like people that are deeply invested in internet and social media, almost like a hobby, like in the way that people would be with like sports or mainstream celebrity culture, that kind of thing. But I think we're in this interesting period now because Gen Z and like millennials and I mean, all of us in general, right? Like, but I think Gen Z in general has been uniquely primed to be so chronically online because the rise of TikTok coincided with the onset of the pandemic and then other social movements that kind of happened around that time, like Black Lives Matter. And that was at an age when Gen Z was already kind of, you know, discovering their values and political beliefs and what they stand for. And so this was like almost a perfect storm for them to end up in this absolute dumpster fire of an online space (laughs) that I feel like it will take so long for them to escape this kind of mentality and and how we've been interacting online if we ever escape it. I know. I don't know if we're going to... I feel like we either get 
deeper into it and like somehow the metaverse actually becomes fun and like that takes off and it's just like absolutely dystopian and we're totally fucked or I keep hearing people talk about you know like I hear more and more people online talking about homeschooling their kids or how they want to dissolve their filler or how they actually this kind of migration from I mean something that I'm doing too and like moving away from the larger cities and going Mm -hmm. somewhere a little bit more rural if you were a betting woman would you say we steer more into this good or we kind of get away from it in the next like 10-15 years I'm gonna say we get away from it so I don't know if you follow death to stock on TikTok but they're one of my favorite follows in the sense that they do like trend analysis and that kind of stuff. They do videos like that. And they recently put out a report and I haven't read the full report, but they put out a report that was talking about like escapism IRL or IRL escapism, something like that. And basically it was talking about how Gen Z, but society as a whole, like so much of what we've been primed in terms of like marketing from different companies, whether they're like trying to sell us their products or experiences or whatever has been framed around like escaping reality. And now reality is so grim (laughs) and like, so is the metaverse and like every, like the internet is so grim and there's nothing, we can't escape it basically that now people are basically trying to experience escapism in like tangible experiences. So like hiking and nature and that kind of stuff, which isn't like totally groundbreaking. But I think that this recent, these recent reports of people basically, of people recognizing, I suppose, like the corporation behind like, oh, this product will help you escape reality or, you know, this experience will give you this, this escapism. It's really interesting to hear how people are seeing through that now. And they really just want to get back to the roots of like what you were saying, like living maybe more rurally off the grid or actually spending time within their community, shopping local, doing things that actually are like more grassroots and like down to earth, which I think is the way that people have wanted to act or would say that they would have been wanting to act in the last however many years, but like we haven't actually. And now it seems like we're kind of getting to that. Yeah. Me and everyone that I talk to, it's like, we're all desperate for like community. And I think especially like when you're younger, right, you go to school, you have community, you go to college, talk about a community. Then once you have a family, you have your own little mini community. And when you get older, they have all of those like incredible, like 50, 60 plus like communities that I'm just like dying to get to that age so I can get there. (laughs) But in between like 30 to 50, or I guess 20 to 50, you literally have no community. Like, especially too in New York, like nobody knows their neighbors, now that everybody's remote, it's not even like there's an office that you go into every day where like you talk, have talks around the water cooler. And I feel like we've just become more and more disjointed than ever. And everyone I talk to is like, I I saw this tweet too that was like, do you miss college or do you just miss having a community of 20 people that oh you God, love yes. and are around every day? And it's like, yeah, that's why when I say I miss college, that's what I miss, you know? Yeah, totally. Now, the last thing I want to touch on here is... Well, there's, there's two last questions that I have for you. The first one is going to be similarly to what we were talking about, that perfect storm of TikTok taking off in 2020. I'm so fascinated always by what is the next big app going to be? I remember I missed my chance with Vine and I was like, the mm. next time something like Vine <laughs> comes around, I'm going to be on it. TikTok happened. Boom. Was on it. Loved it. It's the reason why I have my career today. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. For a while during COVID, I remember people thinking that Clubhouse was going to take off. This whole idea of like audio spaces, obviously it didn't take off. Do you think there will be a next big social media app? Which one do you think that we currently have will go under? And what do you think like could exist 
that doesn't exist today that people would go crazy for? I think the one that will go under, sadly, is Be Real. And I think it's already kind of gone under. It's just, I think the problem with Be Real is that their whole, they essentially did not provide what they claimed to provide, which was the ability to only post within like this two minute time frame and really show what your real life is like. But from the get go, you could post at any time. You just couldn't look at other people's content until you posted. So then that just led to a bunch of people saving their be reels for the best time of the day (laughs) or just not posting that day if they didn't have anything going on. So I think that was the biggest downfall or like the biggest mistake that they made from the very beginning. People got so bored with it because it just turned into Instagram stories then. So I think that one will continue to decline. I think the next big one, which isn't really social media, but it's to what we were saying about community is Geneva. I don't know if you're on Geneva, but it's a social platform and it's basically like discord slack and like facebook events together and it's really cool so we launched on it we wrote a piece about them when they launched i believe about like a year and a half ago and then when we were in new york doing meetings in august we met with the team there and then they like were just basically it sounded so amazing so we jumped on and we started a little home and it's literally just like a group it's kind of like facebook groups but like better, (laughs) not as toxic. And you basically can just have like all these little rooms inside your home. So we have one for like TikTok drama, like YouTube news, Bravo, things like that. And it's just like threads. It's kind of like a forum and people can just like post things and stuff. And it's so cute. And it's like a closed group. You know, you have to ask to join, but there's discoverability, which is really good for people like who already have an existing platform and want to kind of have a hub for their community because, you know, for discord and Slack and stuff, obviously you just have to have like the specific URL or the, like you have to know the link and the home name and stuff like this. Whereas Geneva just kind of allows you to like search through all the homes and join the ones that you think are interesting. So I think that will be the next big one. And they've definitely been doing a lot of marketing and like a big push for users. So I think they'll be really big. And something that I think is missing, that's a really good question. I feel like, hmm, I don't know, actually. I feel like we actually just, I know that everyone's trying to like remake Twitter. I think we just need to stop that. Like we have, we've tried Twitter and it is amazing. I love Twitter. I'm like the biggest Twitter user ever, but like, I think we need to put it to bed. I think that's something that people need to stop trying to do. Yeah. I'm with you on the community thing. Like we, folks who are on our Patreon get access to our discord and Mm. it's great. Cause like, it's like, that was my favorite thing in my last nine to five was having Slack and being able to like chat with people. Like I love chatting online. I think I would, I'm with you. If a new app had to exist, I would make it like a Discord Geneva type, but almost paired with Yik Yak. So it would be that idea of like what's missing community. And I'm thinking here in New York, right? So maybe like in New York, it would just be like within a couple blocks of where you are, people would like log on to their own like server. Mm -hmm. Or if you're out in, I don't know, like somewhere Mm-hmm. Milwaukee. I don't know. It could be a little bit larger. And then people, you know, enough people who are close in your perimeter, like a hundred people worth would like all be in the same server talking. And it would be like the, I don't know, the Perry street crew or something like yes. that. Because I think that sense of like people in your immediate vicinity that you can talk to, that's why I really liked Yik Yak back in the day, but there just weren't that many features about it. Yeah. Now the last question I want to ask you before we wrap things up here. Mm-hmm. 
obviously, like you've said before, a lot of the things that you guys cover over on Centennial World are these Gen Z, TikTok, drama, breakdowns, recaps of what's happening. Everybody loves a good controversy online. And it's incredible because it can be anything from like a lash, you know, a mascara ad to like somebody literally getting abused at Jake Paul's house party, right? Mm -hmm. So it really runs the spectrum. If you had to put together, like let's say you're a play or a screenwriter and you want to make the best online controversy of all time, (laughs) (laughs) which characters are you putting in it? And like, what are they Mm. doing wrong? Like, is it, does it involve like, you know, John Mayer grooming a teenager? Do you think it has something to do with like somebody vomits at the Emmys and then slips into it? Like (laughs) out of analyzing all of these controversies, what kind of factors do you think really make ones take off to the moon? I feel like it's hard now because like the best celebrity or like yeah, like the best celebrity controversies, at least in my opinion, are always the more like lighthearted ones, like somebody vomiting and slipping in it. Like that's like hilarious. That's like peak what we want to read about. That's what we want to see. And I feel like like internet controversies got so dark there for a minute. And that's not to say that it always hasn't been like that because obviously it was we were just in this phase of like exposing all this stuff that had been happening for so long. So it's kind of this double-edged sword because it's like on one hand, do I want to constantly be writing about this YouTuber sexually assaulting somebody? No. Like yeah. I don't want to always be talking about all of these kids sexually assaulting all of these girls, you know? But on the other hand, that is important in that space. And that is important reporting. But I think if I had to create my own controversy, it would definitely have Trisha Paytas in it. Like I am sadly a Trisha Paytas apologist. I just, I've watched her for so long. I know she's so problematic. Like I know, but I cannot help it. Tell me you watched Frenemies, right? How good was Frenemies? Oh my God. Amazing. So good. Like, yeah. So definitely Trisha. It would, I also really love a Tana controversy, Tana Mojo. Mm -hmm. I think she keeps it like light and fun. And I know her backstory is quite dark, but I really love how she's kind of come out as this like hectic party girl and she doesn't take herself too seriously. And I just love all the controversy and drama around her. Like when she did that wedding to Jake Paul, that was like peak, like that didn't (laughs) hurt anybody. I mean, actually that's not totally true. I do know that people bought the uh, live stream. I think they paid like maybe 50 bucks for the live stream that like didn't work and they never got their money back. (laughs) But you know, that's like YouTuber drama. Like that's just how it goes with these kids. You know, I think that was like peak controversy. I would like to keep the Paul brothers out of it for sure. I think they're like actually too problematic, but I would like just it to be like, yeah, I think that those two girls are for sure my winners. I think that's a great one. You always have to have, remember when the womb lands situation happened on TikTok? Like I was so fascinated by that because it was like, I'm also interested too, like with TV shows like White Lotus and Succession becoming more and more popular nowadays, like somebody doesn't have to be a good person for you to root for them. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, do we like the person who sucks a lot or the person who sucks a little? And then like each person kind of like cast their vote. So I'm with you. The only thing I would add is I find it so funny that the Paul brothers have become boxers. So like if Trisha Paytas could like box Logan Paul, (laughs) but like Trisha Paytas is like actually like really good at it or something and like... I have no idea. I feel like, I just think it's so funny that like they're now boxers. So I would include something like that where like Tana is sleeping with Trisha and then 
they have to solve it out yes. in the ring. Like I love when these YouTubers get messy <laughs> and they're like, the only way to solve it is by either doing a YouTube diss track video or by beating the shit out of each other and having a live stream so people can watch it. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> they're all like, they're all becoming boxers. Like all of the little TikTok <laughs> boys that had careers at the beginning for doing thirst traps and then nobody cares about them anymore. They're all becoming boxers. I'm like, can we get another career, like a different hobby? It's so weird. It's like you start off on TikTok and then if you're a girl, you like do OnlyFans. And if you're a guy, you like put on the gloves and you get into the <laughs> ring. It's like, what, what? Like, how did that become the fork in the road? I have no idea, but I like, know. that's usually what happens. It's so weird. God, it's God. so weird. Lauren, thank you. I cannot thank you enough for waking up early and coming oh, on to join you. us on today's show. Let everybody know because there's so many different avenues mm-hmm. to check out and get involved in Centennial, Centennial World. <laughs> Let everybody know the podcast, your Substack name, all of this is going to be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But for anybody who wants to go check it out without clicking in, let them know where to find you. Yeah. So we're at Centennial World on all socials, Instagram, TikTok, and you know, centennialworld.com is our publication and our podcast podcast is called Infinite Scroll and so is our Substack. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And the next time uh, anything dramatic happens, we'll have to go check it out on Centennial World for the breakdown. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been so much fun.